better start. If you've been watching the videos from the Alliance um, that go along with the 40 days of prayer, uh, if you don't know, we'll be doing this every year. And if you signed up through the link that we sent multiple times, so if you don't have that, uh, we'd have to talk about why. But I hope you did, and I hope you've been getting the emails that they come out on Saturdays and uh, that you've been getting to watch. I think they're between one and two minutes long, um, just about the theme of that week. And so if you have been watching those, the, this one uh, that you would have gotten last Saturday um, about this theme today, Terry Smith uh, shared a story from when he worked at a fast food restaurant and the owner showed up. Uh, and he found himself unprepared. It was a busy weekend, and he didn't think anything would be happening, and so he didn't really, uh, wasn't keeping the, the place up very well, and then the, the owner of the franchise walked in, and he found himself uh, a bit unprepared. Things weren't as clean as they should be. Uh, his staff wasn't feeling the uh, urgency of, of business that they should have been uh, for, an owner, for the owner to walk in. So, uh, but when he shared that story, it reminded me right away of when I was a kid. And uh, when I was a kid, at times, uh, you have to understand our context, I grew up uh, about two hours south of here up on a really high mountain, and our house was way out in the middle of the woods. Like, we didn't have what you, I guess, would call neighbors. Uh, A neighbor was somebody's house I could walk to, like, in an hour. Um, That was a neighbor. So there weren't any houses within view of of our property, and, uh, and our driveway was a quarter mile long. And so as a kid, there would be sometimes, uh, I also, I don't think our parents ever won Parent of the Year Award, uh, so we would come down, our, we would walk our driveway from the bus, and it wouldn't be an odd thing to arrive home to find a note on the door uh, that says, we will be back sometime later, you know, at such and such a time, um, don't get in any trouble. And all the doors would be locked, and we wouldn't be allowed in the house. Uh, so we were left with a little bit of a dilemma, as any uh, rambunctious young, young child would be. Uh, we could entertain ourselves uh, outside and end up getting our clothes, uh, our school clothes, all dirty and muddy, which would naturally going to happen. I mean, you put boys outside in nice clothes, what happens? They get dirty. Uh, we didn't know how to play nice. We knew how to play hard, and that's what we would do if, you know, and sometimes they wouldn't be home till seven, eight o'clock at night, so this, we're talking a couple hours of entertaining ourselves, and uh, so we had that option, or the other option would be to scale our house like a bunch of monkeys that we were and try to find a window that was open, unlocked, and get in through the window, and then uh, get into the house and hang out there with the, with the chance of getting in trouble, uh, and risk that. So most often we would choose the hangout in the house option uh, because that way there was at least a chance that we could get out of the house uh, when we saw them coming down without getting in trouble. Like I said, our driveway was a quarter mile long, so we had a good bit of time. Uh, we would have somebody on, on lookout who would be watching to see when our parents' car would come down the driveway because uh, our house sat here and there was like kind of a valley and then you know our driveway went up. So you could see pretty clearly when someone entered the driveway, uh, especially during the winter when all the leaves were off the trees, it was very easy to see. Uh, and if it had started to get dark, then the lights you know, definitely gave it away. So some, one of us would serve as the lookout and you know, we'd hang out, watch TV, do, you know, do all the things that we would want to do. I don't think we ever got ourselves into too much trouble once we were in the house, but uh, every now and then the lookout uh, wouldn't be doing their job quite as well. 
and uh, we wouldn't see our parents until it was too late. Um, they would, we would either hear the car or see it um, bef- without the time that we would need to uh, tidy things up and get out of the house in time. And as I thought about that, as I watched Terry Smith's video and as I kind of thought about that in our lives, I, I think this to a degree is how some of us treat the return of Christ. We know what our Father wants us to do. We know what we're supposed to be doing while He's away, while, you know, before He returns. We know uh, what He wants us to do. We have just decided that we're going to live out our lives however we want, and we, and we always think that we'll have enough time to straighten it up before it's too late. And I can tell you it didn't work out for us as kids, <laughs> and it's not going to work out for many of us as adults in, in, in regards to the return of Christ. Many of us, we don't see the urgency in living God's way because we think we still have time. We still have time to kill. We still have time to get things right. Uh, we have written God a lot of IOUs. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I would, I would guess that some of us today have some outstanding IOUs to God, things that we said, God, I know you want me to do this, and I'm going to do it, just not right now. In the next season of life, oh God, I'm telling you, things are going to be so much easier. I've got it all figured out. Has anybody ever gotten to that stage of life where things got a lot easier and, and uncomplicated and everything was accomplished? No, nobody else did either. Yeah, me either. You, we always think the next season, you know, for at one point it was, well, once I get married and I get settled down and there's some peace in my life, then everything will be good. Then I get married and realize that didn't happen. Everything did get good, but things are a lot more complicated. We got things to do. We got places to go. We got people to see. And it's like, okay, I don't think anybody thought things would get simpler when we have kids. Uh, but it's, it just always seems like the next season, once we have our own house, then you know, things, things will be nice and things will be settled and then we'll have more money for this or we'll have more time for that. And for whatever reason, we always think the next season. So we write these IOUs to God based on his call on our life. And we expect someday, sometime, when we have that extra time, that extra money, that extra space, that we'll fulfill those IOUs. For many of us, we view the return of Christ like my brothers and I reviewed uh, or, or viewed the return of our parents. Instead of viewing it with hopeful expectation, I can promise you, none of us, as we were watching TV and eating stuff we weren't allowed to eat inside the house and hanging out, we're not looking with hopeful expectation when our parents would return, uh, as one of us did uh, served as the lookout. However, when Jackie and I first met, uh, we were living about an hour away from each other, and we would take turns you know, making that drive to see each other. And I can tell you that I waited with, and looked forward to when she would pull into the apartment complex I was living in and when she would arrive and we would you know, have whatever it would be, a couple hours, a, a half day to ourselves, maybe a whole Saturday or something. Uh, is a whole different way that I looked for uh, her car to arrive than the way I looked for our parents' car to arrive. Uh, Jackie's was much more of a hopeful expectation uh, when we saw our parents' car, there was a moment of panic, and then it was like a flurry of motion as we tried to put everything back, which we never did. I mean, I don't know why we thought we could, but trying to put everything back the way it was and then jump out the window before they could see us. Uh, we had really high expectations of our ability and our capacity, and we very rarely lived it out. I don't think we ever actually got away with it, but 
uh, at one point, I think it just became, you know what, we're going to do whatever we want because we're just going to get in trouble anyhow. So uh, that kind of became our attitude. And I wonder if maybe some of our attitudes are similar. We're like, well, you know, I know the judgment is coming and I'm just going to do whatever I want because I already got my ticket in. I'm going to heaven. I'm a Christian. And so I'm just going to kind of live however I want. The return of Christ should be one of hopeful expectation. Today we're going to be talking about reawakening to the return of Christ and what it means for the believer that Jesus is coming back. I don't know where you're at with this. One of the statements of the alliance is that the return of Christ is imminent. And if you don't know what imminent means, it means it can happen right now, that we must be on full alert because it could happen at any moment the return of Christ could happen. There are some people, for whatever reason, think that certain things still have to happen for Christ to return, and I don't believe that at all. I believe before we finish the sermon today, Christ could return. And I, and I believe that it's not good of us, not healthy of us as Christians to have developed this idea that, well, yeah, everybody always says that. They always say Jesus is coming back soon. Well, I can promise you it's more true today than it was yesterday. He's coming back, and it l- could literally be any day. As the hymn says, soon and very soon. Some of you, I actually, as I was preparing this sermon, that song started playing in my head. That hymn started singing, soon and very soon. Uh, I'm not going to sing for you because nobody wants that. But he is coming back soon. It is going to happen. One day Christ will return. It could be today. could be next week. could be in our lifetime. It might not be in our lifetime. But we should live in a way that honors both that Christ could return today or he could return 100 years from now. We can live in a way that honors both of those realities. We can view uh, a verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10, in two distinct ways as we look at the return of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. How many of you read this verse with a negative tone? How many of you honestly read this verse with a negative tone? Okay, we have at least one honest person. If I'm honest, I read this verse with a negative tone uh, for me. Uh, I think it has a little bit to do with the way we're raised, the way we view God. Um, for me, I read this in a, not like a really negative tone, but almost like a j- judgy tone. Uh, so let's, let's switch it to judgy tone, like not necessarily negative, but how many of you view this in like, ah, that like, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. How many of you view this as a completely positive thing? Okay, rest of you are just sleeping. About seven of you are engaged and rest of you not, not so much. So let me ask it this way. If you were told that unbeknownst to you, someone had hired a private investigator to follow you around for the last week, recording all of your behaviors. They have everything that you have done this last week, everything, every website that you visited, everything you looked at on your phone, everything that you did has been recorded by this private investigator. If we're living a life of integrity following Jesus, would that make us nervous? To know that, to find out, unbeknownst to you, that someone had recorded all of your last week. This shouldn't bring us too much anxiety. It'll probably creep you out a little bit to know that, but uh, might not bring you a lot of anxiety if you're living a life of integrity. If you are 
acting the same in front of everybody. You know, if, if anybody could read the transcripts of every conversation you had, because you hadn't talked bad about somebody else, you hadn't done anything that would uh, offend somebody if they had known that you had done it, uh, and those kind of things. What if we lived that way? See, we can view uh, the statement uh, that we'll all stand before God to be judged for the good and evil we've done as a good thing or a bad thing. See, if we live lives of integrity and we're passionately pursuing Jesus, this is a positive statement. To know that we'll receive, uh, it says, we'll receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. If we know that we're just going nuts living for Jesus and doing everything we can to bring honor to his name and glorify him, this is a positive statement. And yet I think it's rare that people view this as a positive statement. Because I think we view ourselves like me and my brothers in the house waiting for the Father to return, knowing we're not living exactly as we're supposed to. Uh, For us, we were choosing the better of two evils. And some of us, that's kind of what we're doing in our life. We know we're not exactly living out God's call, but we're trying to like compromise and make it work, knowing that when he returns, we might feel shame, guilt for the way we have lived our life. That if he returned today, we would feel some guilt about that because we have all these outstanding IOUs that we were gonna do these things when the next chapter of life happened. We were gonna do these things when, when our situations changed and we just never lived out the life God wanted for us. It really depends how we're living out our lives, how we view that scripture. The word of God says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 30 and 31, and then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. That's an exciting verse for the Christian. To know that he's gonna come back and he's gonna send his angels out and he's gonna gather the chosen Um, And that's not just the TV show, that's uh, us, believers, Christians, those who have uh, lived out a relationship with Christ. That's who Jesus is sending out to gather us all together. Uh, I was talking with Jackie as we were driving to dinner last night and just this week, just really thinking about and focusing on, if you've never just sat in a quiet moment with God and just thought, what will it be like, that moment that we step into eternity? What will that be like? How much of what we stress about, how much of what we think about, how much of what we put our energy and our money and our time into, how much of it will we turn around and go, man, what was I doing? Why did I do that? How much will we be so grateful and think like, oh man, I'm so proud. I I don't know if any of you can think back to this time. Have you ever done something that you were so proud of you couldn't wait to like show your dad or your mom. You were so happy with it. You, you felt like you had this product, whether it was something you drew or something you created or uh, uh, for some of you, a score on a, on a report card. Apparently that was important to some people. Uh, <laughs> I'm making fun of my wife there. Uh, uh, whatever it is, you were so excited to, to bring it to your parents and show them because you knew this was a worthy thing that you wanted to show them. And how often do we view God that way? 
Do we view that judgment time as like, oh, I can't wait to stand in front of the Father and talk about the ways that I served him, the ways that I uh, advanced his kingdom, the ways that I lived out the gospel for those in darkness, the ways that he worked through me to accomplish things for his glory. Can't wait to sit and talk with him about that. See, the first response to the knowledge that Christ could come back any moment should be righteous living. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 to 3 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what, what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. So this verse is saying, those that have this eager expectation, this hopeful expectation of Christ's return, we will be pure. We are, our desire will be to keep ourselves pure as he is pure. There should be a, a want, a desire for righteous living. As, as we've talked about with Paul in, in Romans, he, he talks about this battle between his spirit and his flesh. Uh, and one of the huge differences between a Christian and a non-Christian is there's this battle. There's this battle, this desire to want to do righteousness, to want to live a righteous life. Now, none of us are going to get it all right, and sometimes we can get down on ourselves and we can listen to the lies of the enemy that, oh, well, are you sure you're saved because you messed up again, and are you sure you're saved because you're still, kinda, you're still really messed up? But there's the, if there's the presence of a desire to live righteously, that's a good thing, that's a good sign that we want to live righteously. Not so that we don't get caught. I can promise you as my brothers and I sat in the house and we're doing the things that we were doing, waiting for our parents, there wasn't a desire to do the right thing. There was the fear of getting caught. That's the only reason that kept us from doing anything while we were in the house. There wasn't a desire to make our parents proud and do just the right things. But that's how we should live. If we have this eager expectation of Christ's return, we should live in a way that we keep ourselves pure. We do everything we can to achieve that. Our lives should reflect the reality also that we don't know the day or hour Jesus is going to return. If, and if anybody ever says, I figured it out, I did the math, and this has happened multiple times, I've done the math, I've crunched the numbers, Jesus is coming back on this date, don't listen to them. Matter of fact, I would highly recommend you don't listen to anything they have to say about anything if they're willing to do that because they've completely disregarded the word of God at that point. Because the Bible is very clear. Revelation chapter 22, verses 11 to 12. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So if that person thinks that they're better than Jesus or the angels or all the beings in heaven, they're wrong. And they're what I would term a wackadoodle. It's a, it's a theological term uh, we use for people who try to predict this, the, the return of Christ. They don't know. We can't know. And there's also no point in knowing. What would it matter? If we're living the way we should, if we're living to honor God, if we're living to glorify Him, then we don't need to get the house in order for His return. It already is in order. It's as good as it can get, just like when Terry Smith shared his story of, of how his restaurant that he managed was, wasn't in great order. If he had walked in that night and saying, my desire is to at all times operate this store with the utmost of excellence, then it wouldn't have mattered when the owner walked in because he'd have been doing his, his best at all times. 
And if we live that way before God, then it doesn't matter when someone says, oh, God's going to return here. Oh, great, you know what? Whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get as much work as I've done, uh, done as I can before the master returns. That's my goal. Not to try to figure out when he is so that I can have the time to get my life right. He could return today. Is our life right? And we don't live righteously because we're afraid that we'll be caught doing what, something that we shouldn't have. It's one of, one of my many pet peeves about Christianity is, is it almost comes off in a lot of circles as behavior modification. It's not about righteous living. It's not about holy desires. It's about behavior modification. It's don't do this or else we'll look down on you. And then it becomes, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to get caught. And so we develop all these secret sins and these sins of darkness where uh, we feel comfortable and okay in them because we know we're not going to get caught. And that's been our only desire for righteous living is just not to get caught. And so we allow ourselves to do things as long as we're pretty sure we're not going to get caught. And that's not the life God wants for us. Revelation chapter 22, verse 11 to 12 says, Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. There will be a time where we stand before God. And I don't know that I've ever preached on the seven different crowns. But there are crowns that we will receive for our actions done here on earth. And we get to take these crowns and we get to lay them at the feet of Jesus as a worthy offering. Just like a kid would present their report card or this drawing that they made. Or um, if any of you were of that era, the, the clay ashtray that we made in art class. Uh, because it's so, it looks so good and we're so proud of it. That's what we get to do with these crowns. We get to lay them at the feet of Jesus. And some of us won't have many. Some of us will have none to lay at the feet of Jesus. And it's not a mark of pride at that moment. Just like for a kid, they're, they're, it's a proud moment. But what they want is to see the approval of the Father, to know they have blessed the heart of the Father. And in that moment, we get to lay these crowns for righteous living down at the feet of Jesus. Not as a fear of punishment, for me, like I said, I, I read that, that, that verse, that Corinthian verse, in a negative manner because of how I grew up. To me, parents were uh, people who brought the hammer down and would try to catch you in your problems and, and you know, give you whippings and stuff. That was how I view And so I've always struggled with that view of God, thinking that he's like looking for that thing that I'm doing wrong and trying to call me out on it and trying to reprogram my mind to what Father means to me. And every, we all deal with that stuff, with the Father. We try to put our earthly Father stuff on our heavenly Father. But we don't live righteously just to avoid the results of unrighteous living. We do it because He loved us, and He wants us to be pure, and so we want to honor that. I don't know about you, but no matter when Jesus returns, I look forward to standing before Him and hearing well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know if you've ever had an encouragement. We probably all have one that we can say, this meant the most to me in my entire life. These words of encouragement meant the most to me. I guarantee you they'll pale in comparison than, than to see the God of all creation and hear his words say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Paul sums this thought up well in Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. This is the encouragement to righteous living so that whenever the Father returns, we don't think, oh, is my life right? Is everything okay? Did I do anything wrong? We think, oh, great. I get to stand before God and present my crowns to Him. The imminent return of Christ should produce righteous living in us and hopeful expectation. Romans chapter 8 verses 18 to 25 says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will all creation was subjected to God's curse but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. There's a lot in this passage of Scripture, more than uh, I, ha- I feel I have the time to, to break down for us this morning. But there's so much about a hopeful expectation. A hopeful expectation should, our, should be our demeanor as we see and, and understand that Christ is returning. Verse 21 talks about the glorious freedom from death and decay. Think about that moment you step into heaven and death, decay, all of that. None of it is ever a thing again for us. Some of us have bodies that we're not so happy with the current condition of. We feel the decay. We feel uh, things breaking down. All of that will be gone in that moment. Verse 23 talks about being released from sin and suffering. To step into heaven means that war that we have all day, every day, between our flesh and our spirit, the war is over. We step into heaven without that, the weight of our flesh on us, constantly fighting us and telling us to fulfill the desires of our flesh. That's gone. Verse 23 also says we wait with eager hope. When you think about the return of Christ, does it bring about an eager hope in you? Are you excited for that moment? Do you look forward to it? Verse 23 again says, full, we will receive the full rights as his adopted children. We were actually, the elders and I were talking about this this morning. The rights that we have because we're his children, 
because we're called co-heirs. We've been given a mantle of authority. We get to act in the, on the Father's behalf with, with His name that goes before us in the, the spiritual realms and in the things of this world. We are co-heirs, and, and we won't even receive the full measure of it, it says, until we step into heaven, until He returns, and then we'll receive the full rights as His adopted children. And verse 25 says, we wait patiently and confidently. Those should be words that describe the way that we look forward to and the way that we live our life in light of the reality that Jesus is returning patiently and confidently, knowing our Father, Lord Jesus, is coming back. He's coming back for us. My great desire for us is this same as that of the author of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 to 12, it says, Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. See, there's a truth here I'm not going to call out anybody by name in particular, but there's a couple in our church that have uh, recently, not recently, they've been inviting people to their home to love on them, to bless them. And I can promise you, you look at verse 11, it says, our great desire is that you'll keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true and that you will not become dull and indifferent. There's this thing that happens when we love other people, especially those who don't yet know Jesus, and as we invite them into our space and as, as we uh, seek to change their lives with the love of God, our faith doesn't become dull and indifferent. When you're, when you're in the thick of it, when you're in dark places, you become desperate for Jesus because you start to realize pretty quickly, I don't have the answers to all of this. These people are really messed up and they're really broken and I don't know how to fix them. I need Jesus. And so that's what this verse is talking about, that we would love people. So a question I have that comes out of this is, when was the last time that you loved somebody who didn't know Jesus in a way that changed their life, in a way that changed their day? When was the last time that we loved someone like that, invited them into our space or entered their space and loved them like this is talking about? For some of us, if we're honest, our faith has become dull and indifferent at times. Maybe it's been that way for a while. And my guess is, if that's true, you've probably not loved somebody in a way that changed their life recently. But if we begin to look and say, okay, how do I do this? How can I love someone in a way that changes their day, changes their year, changes their life? It's exciting. It brings a light. It brings an excitement to our faith and to our life, to our walk with Jesus as we love people toward the kingdom. Even if we don't get to see them take that last step into the kingdom, knowing they've taken a step closer, it's exciting, it's invigorating. Some of us in our leadership meetings, we always share manifest moments of how God has manifested himself. And I always love those ones where it's like, yeah, I had this interaction with somebody and, it, and I know it led them a little closer to Jesus. We've had some really cool conversations with waiters and waitresses and things like that, just asking them how we can pray for them. And in one week, we had like two really cool conversations. And it was like, man, they're moving closer and closer toward Jesus. It's exciting. It's invigorating. It definitely doesn't describe dull and indifferent. 
when we're engaged in that type of activity. And so maybe God's calling you to something like that. Maybe he's saying, you know, you've been kind of just comfortable in your faith. And you know I'm coming back. And you're really not doing anything in order to get this house or the world in order. You're not spreading my love. You're not telling people about me. You're not loving people toward the kingdom. We've become dull and indifferent. And so let's love people, as this verse says. Part of that hopeful expectation is looking forward to what God will do in us before he returns. Sometimes, before I get into that, before, sometimes what we do is we look at the return of Christ and we think that's the event. That's what we look forward to. But there should be some idea of the return of Christ means that we have, that he hasn't returned, means there's still time to accomplish what he wants for us, to allow him to move through us, to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us to win back ground for the kingdom, to uh, push back darkness in dark places. We get to do that. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So if you're sitting here thinking today, like, I don't know how I'm going to love people toward the kingdom. I don't know how I'm going to love people who are uh, lost, who are broken, who are messed up. I don't know how I can love them toward Jesus. That's okay. That's totally okay. Because guess what? It's not you that's going to do it. It's the love of Jesus flowing through you. It's the Holy Spirit empowering you to do things, uh, to do infinitely more than we might ask or think. If you ask people that have done things for God, mighty things for God, if you were able to go in the past and grab them and bring them to the future and say, hey, do you think you're able to do this? Do you think you could accomplish all of this in your lifetime? The answer is probably absolutely not. There's no way. Because it was God through them that worked and did infinitely more than they could ask or think. And that's what will happen if we allow God to move in us, if we look to his return and say, you know what? There's work to be done. And I get to be a part of this work. If I just allow the Holy Spirit to move through me, what could be done in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my family? What could happen if I just let the Holy Spirit move? I can tell you what, infinitely more than what you could ask or think. The imminent return of Christ should produce righteous living, hopeful expectation, and missional urgency. Romans 13, 11. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. There is still so much brokenness around us. My guess is you didn't make it this drive to church, maybe except for the plumbers. Um, you didn't make this drive to church without passing some brokenness in our community. You got here, just, just the drive here. Look around. As you drive home, look around. See the brokenness all over this town. There are still so many people who don't know the love of Christ. And we don't even have to leave Dubois for that. I'm not calling you to West Africa or Mexico or some country you can't even pronounce. That's, that's not the call this morning. Maybe that's the call God has for your individual calling, but the call is to make disciples, to tell people of Jesus' love here. If we can't do it here, we're certainly not going to do it overseas. But it's to do it here because there are still so much work to be done here. 
so many people who haven't experienced the freedom that we have from sin and death. We wake up every day without the burden of being captive to sin. We wake up free people. And sometimes we take it for granted. Maybe every day we take it for granted because that doesn't compel us to tell others of this freedom. This should motivate us into action. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, At just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. God isn't accepting any IOUs. If he's calling you to do it, there's a reason he's calling you now. If you're feeling a pull on your heart like, now is the time I need to do something about it, then God isn't saying an IOU is an option. Or maybe at a future date, if you're feeling a pull from the Spirit on your heart, He understands your current circumstance, and He wants to move in that. Not in some future date that's never going to actually take place. Not in a, in a way that if Christ comes back sooner than you expected, you're going to be left with a bunch of regret because you never lived out His call in your life. Today is the day of salvation. It said here, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Some of us, some Christians, have accepted the gift of God's kindness, but then they've ignored it. They've ignored that call, that impulse to go beyond and say, and to tell everybody they know about this marvelous and wonderful and awesome God who can save their souls too. Do you want to know when the right time to invite that neighbor, that coworker, that family member, or whatever over for dinner and be a witness to them? Today is the day of salvation. You might not get a tomorrow. They might not get a tomorrow. All Christians might not get a tomorrow because Jesus might come back. Knowing that Christ could return at any moment should motivate us into action today and not put off reaching out to those who haven't heard or received Christ. A mission statement I talked about last week, what I love about it is you know, that the goal is to give people multiple opportunities to hear, experience, and respond to the gospel. I love the power in that. That just because we've talked to a coworker or somebody about Jesus doesn't mean our work is done. Our work is to constantly be the gospel to them so that at any time they interact with us, they're hearing, experiencing, and hopefully responding to the gospel. Now, the response might be no, 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 no for a very long time, but all we need is one yes. All they need is one yes to the kingdom, to Jesus and what he can do in their life. Some of us have given up on people because we've gotten a few no's. Some of us have given up on people because we got one no. And that no wasn't even about Jesus. It was just about coming to church. And we've said, ah, oh, well, I guess they don't want Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 14 to 17 says, For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
I told you this year is going to be a lot of self-discovery. We're going to be doing a lot of work on understanding exactly what we're called to do, what our unique callings are. Because like this says, if we understand what the Lord wants us to do, man, if we really get it, and we get a grasp on what we're called to do, that gives us a clear picture of how the Holy Spirit wants to use us to advance His kingdom. Like it says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. There are so many opportunities that I have missed. And my guess is we each have those opportunities we've completely missed because we just weren't being sensitive to the Spirit and listening for the voice of God to speak and tell us what to do, where to go, how to do things. But man, if we understand what it is, if you don't have a crystal clear picture of what God wants for you, of how He wants to use you, then I would encourage you, take the opportunities we have this year as we do that. You don't have to wait for us, but certainly as we have some classes and trainings and seminars and, wh- and whatnot on, on understanding our personal calling. Uh, I, I know our next series is going to be a lot about this. Take the opportunities to wrestle with that stuff before God because we can't live out God's call in our life if we don't even know what it is, if we don't even have clarity on what that is. God wants to do amazing things through you, not just professional clergy who are paid to do this, That's not the only people God wants to use. He wants to use every single one of us. We're all called to be missionaries. That's the general call of God. So how do we do that? Because the days are short. Every day is a day closer to when Jesus is gonna return and and, and a day less that the people around us have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. So how does the knowledge, as we close, how does the knowledge of Christ's imminent return change the way you live your life? Does it? change your life does the reality that christ is returning soon change your life in any way shape or form do you live in a way that says yeah i know jesus is going to return and when he does no matter when he does i'll be excited to see him that the 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 horn when it blasts will be like music to my ears because i know uh, I, i don't know if any of you have ever done a race or something uh, I have not. I don't like races because you have to move and run. I don't like running. But I've watched people do it and the look on their face when they cross that finish line, the relief that, that the race is over, the effort, the intense effort that they've put in is over. Man, what a, what a blessing that is. It's a lot different when like the tail end of the marathon or the whatever it is, 5K, those people that are doing it just because they want to do it, and they're like they're walking, you know, they're done, they're compl- they're me, they're just done with it, and they just like walk across the finish line. A little bit of a different look as they finish the, cro- the, the as they cross the the finishing line. How will you enter heaven when Jesus returns? Will it be like that sprinter who put every ounce of their energy into it, and when they cross that finish line, there's that moment of final. <sighs> Man, I'm tired. I put everything I had into that. I gave it my all. Or will you be like the guy or the girl, kind of, I'm just here for fun, walking across the finish line, not even really aware that when you crossed it, because it doesn't really matter, because you weren't really putting a lot of effort into it. Does the reality of Christ's imminent return, does it produce righteous living, hopeful expectation 
and missional urgency for you? Do you feel this urgency to tell others about him, to, to make sure that your neighbors, that your coworkers, that those around you have multiple opportunities to hear, experience, and respond to the gospel? Do you feel that on a daily basis? I know I do. I hope you do too. Or do you still think, ah, I've got time. Oh, my, my coworkers, they have time. I think. I hope they have time before they go to hell. I hope my neighbors have some time because I just don't really feel like it right now. I'm not in the season of my life where that's something I want to do. My hope for us is that we will live in light of the knowledge that today could be the day that Jesus returns for us. Our friends, coworkers, neighbors, they might not get another chance. We tend to think sometimes like, oh, there's many, many more chances, many more opportunities. I'll be at work all day. You know, I'll be working there for the next 20 more, 20 more years. Every single one of us knows somebody that went home or died way before their time. Totally unexpected. We never know. And the reality that Jesus could just straight up come back today. So let's live lives that live that out, that show people, man, we're so excited for the Father to return. Let's not be like my brothers and I in the house, waiting, having a lookout, you know, making sure that you can hopefully get enough time when you hear that Jesus is coming back to get things in order, to straighten up the house, to not be caught in, in wrongdoing, but that we would live in a way that, man, if it be today, then what an exciting day it'll be. And as we look at verses about his judgment, those become a blessing because we know that what he will see is somebody who has run the race well and has put all their effort into this instead of all their effort into this life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have loved us in ways beyond our understanding. That you have allowed us to respond to the gospel in a favorable way, that we have accepted your call to become your children and co-heirs with Christ and all the blessings that comes with. Lord, I want to pray against this idea that righteous living should be because we're afraid to be caught or we're afraid people are going to find out or we're afraid of the way that people are going to look at us or the shame it might bring us. Lord, none of that is a motivating factor. But your righteousness, your holiness, your love for us, when we get a picture of that, man, we want to be like that. As believers, there's a desire for righteous living, a desire to live out uh, the, the life of the Spirit inside of us and not obey the flesh. And I pray each of us would, would come back to that. If any of us have gotten away from that, we would again begin to feel that desire to live righteously and that we would all live lives that glorify you, that bring honor to your name, and that live in a way that people would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that person lives like Jesus is coming back today. They don't leave anything undone that God calls them to. They jump on his calls immediately. Lord, I pray we would be people found faithful whenever it is you return, whether that be today, tomorrow, or 100 years from now. I pray we would be a people found faithful to the mission you've called us to, to the work that you have called us to, that we would love you that much that at any moment you return, we would be so excited. Would this be a week of righteous living 
hopeful expectation and missional urgency for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day and a great week.